and welcome to Sophist Symposium. We're your hosts. I'm Doug Daffin. I am Chris Benderman, and I am wearing a suit. I'm not wearing a suit. <laughs> Doug didn't want to come to our boat cruise tonight. I couldn't come. I had class. I had class, too. I cut out. Yeah, but I want to cut out for different reasons and not for a boat cruise, okay. and I only get two cuts this semester. Ooh, that's tough. I, I haven't gotten to go to a boat cruise so far. In law school, so I wanted to take Until the opportunity. Yeah, this is the first time. All right, so uh, Chris, we're we're here. What's you get we're the here. topic this week? I do. Uh, what we, do you want to talk about? Uh, we and by we I mean I, me. I want to apologize for the uh, the gap in time between last show and this show. It's largely been my fault. I will say the topic tonight is truth. Truth. We're talking about truth. Nice. Yep. All right. Um, and for tonight's drink, I got to make a cocktail. Okay. Um, What's one it of called? my own inventions, and it's called Chris's Fault. Here we go. And the reason it's called Chris's Fault is because he doesn't respond to text messages or Facebook messages yep. most of the time. It's my fault. And I wasn't sure if we were going to have the podcast tonight, so I couldn't go out and buy mixers. So I have a ton of alcohol and no mixers, and or very few mixers. And I decided to throw all the mixers together in gin. Okay. And so this is um, gin, Red Bull, bowl, orange juice, <gasps> and sweet and sour mix. Oh my goodness. And it's called Chris's Fault. I haven't tried it yet. Because if it's bad, it's Chris's Fault. Do you like it? Uh, I've tried a little bit. Okay, let me try it. I think it tastes great. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Like, it looks exactly like orange juice, but when you taste it, the first thing that hits you is that Red Bull. Mm -hmm. I think it's great. All right. Oh, good. I'm so proud of this. Chris's fault. Oh, it's great. You shouldn't be proud of your faults, Chris. I am thrilled about my faults. All right. So now let's, uh, what's the drinking game? We have only one, and it's going to be one that will be very, very effective. All right. We are talking about truth tonight. And of course, truth carries that infamous connotation that truth has to, of course, be preeminently, well, true. Truth must be, in fact, accurate in a way that everybody can arrive at themselves, which is exactly why our drinking game tonight is every single time that Doug and I disagree about a truth, about a fact, about a aspect of reality, we're going to take a drink. I don't think that's a good drinking game. I think... In fact, that you and I are going to have to disagree. And that's the first drink of the night. And that also, ladies and gentlemen, is Chris's fault. Now, <laughs> I want to read something before we even begin. Doug, you know that I'm a huge Star Trek fan. Yes. Did and you know I've been watching TNG? Perfect. And you're going to recognize everything I'm about to say. Ladies and gentlemen, I will... I will read this without context, without explanation, and without comment, and Doug will be able to tell you exactly what I'm talking about. Perhaps. Pretty sure. And if I'm wrong, we'll take a drink. Here we go. Ready? The first duty of every Starfleet officer is to the truth, whether it's scientific truth or historical truth or personal truth. It is the guiding principle on which Starfleet is based. And if you can't find it within yourself to stand up and tell the truth, you don't deserve to wear that uniform. Do you know the characters in that conversation there? 
I believe it's Picard talking because yes. like they gave all the good lines to Picard. That's accurate. Um, That's true. I don't know who he's talking to. He's talking to, I think at this point, Cadet Crusher. I was going to guess Wesley Crusher. Yeah. But um, I haven't gotten that far. I'm season two. He's still... You're going to get there. Yeah. Now, I was here... going to guess Crusher, but I was going to guess Crusher as a joke guess because I'm like, because I just want to hate that kid more. And I like he's that kid. in lies and shit. I like him too. I just really don't like <laughs> how he's handled in the show. Um, and that's not our topic for tonight. Though. No, it isn't. That's that's opinion so, as against fact. But I want us in. There's a particular part of this, and I want to focus on. Here's Picard, mm-hmm. and Picard is you know, eh, you you might like Star Trek, you might not be a fan, but I think that everyone can agree on the mm, widely held view. Let's not roll into truth just yet. That Picard, Captain Picard, played by, um. Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart, thank you. Did you, you call I, him Patrick Picard? I think I called... You called him Patrick I? Picard. It's Jean-Luc Picard. Well, that would be factually the inaccurate. English, the most English Frenchman. I think that is. would be factually inaccurate if that were the case. Yes, Jean-Luc Picard played by Patrick Stewart. And we're going to take a drink. Now, the thing about this little speech, which is written beautifully, and is it conveys a sort of a sense of things. But it's – look what he's talking about. Scientific truth, historical truth, or personal truth. Now, it's almost as if he's going from the things that we might most agree on as truth down to the thing that we absolutely must disagree on as truth. Right? I mean, he's starting from scientific truth. Okay, well, you know, there's disagreement about what science means, but in broad strokes, if you agree with a particular kind of scientific method, you're at least willing to accept what those methods reveal and result in, right? Right. Then he goes to historical truth. You know, I was listening to NPR the other day. And NPR was talking about this new statue that had been unveiled in San Francisco. And it was a statue that was causing unbelievable levels of uh, controversy. And it was a statue that it actually really – it was about to shatter the sister city relationship between San Francisco and Osaka, Japan. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? And here's, what was it? Here's why. It was a statue – it was a statue representing and honoring those women – primarily from South Korea, who were conscripted as comfort women for Japanese soldiers. And, you know, Japan is talking about, well, this is really out of sorts, and it's, you know, this this statue being unveiled is really a, it's an assault upon something that really doesn't deserve this assault because, you know, can't we... Are, should we talk about anything besides the way the government works today? And obviously our government is committed to human rights. So why would you make this whole thing about something that happened before when really, you know, in today's world, Japan is committed to human rights? But the person being interviewed on the radio was saying, this is about historical truth and historical justice. So again, we now we run into this problem. What is historical truth? 
What do we mean by truth in a historical context? And it gets worse as we go on, doesn't it, Doug? Because now we're going to arrive at personal truth. Well, if you want to stick a minute on historical truth. Let's do do it. I do have a bit to say, um, most of which might be covered in a future podcast about historiography, Okay, which is the art of telling history. Yes. Um, And something I struggled very much with when I was getting my history major because I didn't quite understand it. Um, Because for a lot of people, like, they don't sort of get the idea that there's an art to telling history, you know. Uh, And for a lot of people at the beginning view, it's just, oh, you know, just say what happened. But the historiography, the art of historiography is in how you say uh, what happened. And it it becomes uh, very difficult to discuss historical truths because the way the way you discuss those truths changes the truth um, that you express. I'm really glad you brought that up because there's I'm a huge fan of Dan Carlin. I think I brought this up Hardcore many many history. times. Yep, we've we've talked about this. If before. I ever listen to a podcast, it might be that one. It's a beautiful thing. And on that show, he brought up this quote, and I'm desperately on my phone trying to find it right now. I know the substance of the quote, but I don't know who said it. Well, because this is a podcast about truth. I might as well just make it up. You might, you might as well just make it up. Well, I know that the substance of that quote was, you have to believe ancient history, even if it's not true. And I want a little moment of silence there, actually, because, you know— We are talking about the very kernel of what you just brought up, which is essentially historiography is intended to be a lesson in narrative and storytelling. And you have to cut deeper than just what's being said in order to understand what really happened. But at the same time, you need what's being said to fully appreciate what happened. Yeah, so – as an example of this, I'd like to bring up the OG historian, uh, Herodotus. Yes, I want you to bring Herodotus. up Herodotus, yes. Um, if we if that drinking game from the first podcast is still in effect, I probably mispronounced his name. Well, we are talking about what is, like, objectively true. So Which it has is how to, to pronounce his name. It has to come into effect. And the famous example of Herodotus um, not being a good historian... Because he was, he tended to tell stories. He he liked the story part of history. So he said that the pyramids were built in fifty days. And if you've ever watched Ancient Aliens, that's what they use as their example of the pyramids were built by aliens. But he got that figure. Um, he either made it up or he got that figure from hearing someone else make it up. Because we have evidence that the pyramids weren't built in fit and. Sorry, did I say 50 days? I meant 50 years. Oh, yeah, you said days. Yeah, no, 50 days would be super excessive. 50 years. And even so, like, um, it, it's, it's still a ridiculously short period of time to build. For all of them? Yeah. Yeah, for all three of those pyramids. But what it sort of expresses was the grandeur of ancient Egypt is not only did they build these gigantic pyramids, uh, purely out of stone that doesn't even exist in the region, but they did all of that in a short frame of time mm-hmm. because they were, they were built, you know, thousands of years before Herodotus even 
uh, visited Egypt to yes. find out about him. Oh, totally. But it it becomes a story about the power of ancient Egypt. Well, the thing is, I, I'm glad we're talking about Herodotus, uh, Herodotus, because <laughs> this is one of those. This is a really a touch point, maybe a milestone in our conversation, even because you okay, you are versed in the study of history, so you will know, Doug, that Herodotus is one of those figures that is incredibly controversial. I mean, it, it's what I've most seen, the most often, the most common comment I've seen about Herodotus is. You have to believe Herodotus as much as you don't want to unless you've got another source that you can you can argue really that you can find to be more accurate who's saying different things. And I think – I mean do you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Do you, and the thing is people struggle with this because it's like you don't want to believe Herodotus because Herodotus is so colorful. He's so full of – you know, he emphasizes these character traits that seem larger than life, and he focuses on incidents that seem impossible. Like and building yet, the pyramids in 50 years. Absolutely, and yet he is that guy. Yeah. He is the narrator. He is the storyteller of yeah, an entire it's his age. Story. Yeah. yeah, it is. I've... It truly is. It is Herodotus's story. And here we are, right? Historical truth. What do we do with this, Doug? Well, what do you mean? Should we believe it? Um, it's kind of a believe it until it's proven false, like how um, juries are supposed to believe someone's innocent until proven guilty. But then what gives Herodotus that incredible presumption? I mean, we talk about, you know, juries and defendants. I mean, man, we talk about like... A defendant emerges into a courtroom shrouded in this shield of innocence until it's penetrated. And I agree with you. We give the same kind of power to Herodotus. Why does Herodotus deserve that? Uh, because he was someone who put in the work, I think, to go around to all these different places and collect stories and retell them. Well, he says that he put and in the work. because we don't really have a ton of other sources. Exactly. And why is that? Because no one was interested in history at the time. I think it's because the Library of Alexandria burned down. That's my opinion. We're going on to the we're going to disagree on that. All right. Because I think that's a classic Drink. bad history. Really? Okay. So let's talk because here we are, right? Historical truth. Yeah. I'm sitting here with the opinion that, boy, it's lucky we have Herodotus, because if we just had that library, we would have so much more. Yeah, Tell me I'm a, wrong. Uh, there's a subreddit called Bad History, by the way. and I've There been, certainly is. I've subscribed to it. And um, the Library of Alexandria, while an excellent um, large library containing, you know, a lot of text, uh, was around and was probably burned. It wasn't the only library, and copies of the books in it were widely distributed around um, many different libraries. It was sort of how libraries are now. Mm -hmm. um, to that extent, like burning the library of, uh, or burning that library didn't destroy all of the information in the library because 
it was preserved in other places. But um, surely... certainly there would be books that and or scrolls or I'm gonna call them books, but they probably Tablets. weren't books. Um, certainly there was there were texts that were lost. I'm not gonna call them books. I'm gonna call them texts. <laughs> okay. Okay. Certainly there were texts that were unique to the library of alexandria but they were also probably texts that weren't all that important because that's the type of text that doesn't get copied if it's an important text it gets copied and put in other libraries well maybe but well this is the kind of thing that this conversation would rely entirely upon assumptions that cannot be well i can't prove them so i mean we'll probably move on in fact absolutely but you know the idea is historical truth i mean we're very, very close to the line of, well, what's the value of being accurate? I mean, what is true? I mean, is it true that Alexander the Great split the Gordian knot with his sword? Well, what do we mean by true in that case? Does, what is, I mean... Yeah, or um, look at the history said in the Bible, because that's where we get Yes, especially the Old Testament is yeah. where we get a ton of our history of the Middle East, and it's it's generally a good source um, that people use, and then they research uh, further and do archaeology, arch- yeah, yeah, archaeology, archaeology. Um, and other methods. But generally, like it's it's a historical record, and it's also an embellished um, tale. I mean, the thing is, you know, we're we're just right now going to reveal sort of the the kernel of this entire idea, the, the entire conversation. Of historical truth? Of truth. Okay. Which is – and historical truth, I think, is a really great place to highlight this issue. Is that we mean very different things when we say truth and when we say accurate or accuracy. Well, what do you mean? Well, I mean, let's look at historical truth for a minute. I mean, we're talking about Herodotus, who weaves these stories where the majority of them mustn't be true. I mean, it just can't be true. I mean, we think about, for example, the Gordian Knot, right? The famous story of Alexander coming across this this historic shrine to an old god and this this ancient puzzle that he splits with his sword and it's this incredible moment and it's so meaningful and it's like an author in a fiction book had written this moment to be indicative or foreshadowing of future heroism and victory and how could it be true or rather how could it be accurate maybe it's much harder to question whether it's true than whether it's accurate. Do you understand what I'm saying? Well, I'd like to hear what your difference is between accuracy and truth. Well, I mean, and and this is the thing. I think that truth is so much easier to attain than accuracy. Because accuracy, we can start to get into all Yeah, accuracy, we can say, is one plus one equals two. Perhaps. Perhaps we can say that. I'm not even, in, in fact, sure about that. Because math is theoretical. There's, there's well, yes, but because math is theoretical, then it's internally consistent. Well, like, do you know what I mean? Oh, yes, I do. Because but... we one plus one equals two, because two equals one plus one by like, math. Yeah, by right. math. I think that accuracy is it's more commonly accuracy. I think is more commonly found in sort of 
let's test it in the real world, and if it in fact works out that way, then it's accurate. I think that that's what we mean by sort of accuracy as against truth. I think that math has so much opportunity for truth, you know, true math. Truth, truth and accuracy being hand in hand. That's that's very I think that that's very likely to be yeah. correct. We have to be very careful with our words in this podcast because I want to say things like true and accurate, but I but think we I, have to avoid that. I still don't understand the distinction you're making between truth and accuracy. Like, what is truth then? Okay, let's talk about historical truth, for example. Yeah. And I, my example earlier, I think, you know, I think it assumed a lot about what a listener would understand. So let's... Or even the way. person you're talking to. You are, in fact... I'm only listener. a history major. I don't know anything about the Gordian you are. Map. You are certainly a listener. I will say that. So, <clears throat> okay. We talked earlier about that statue that had been unveiled in San Francisco. And we talked about certain advocates saying, well, listen, this is about historical truth. Okay. But that historical truth requires a narrative. It requires a narrative that is predicated upon the victimization on behalf of the Japanese army of South Korean women. And obviously, this is a narrative about grief, sorrow, domination, subjugation, a lot of really dark, dirty words, right? Right. The Japanese government doesn't like that narrative, and it doesn't agree with that historical quote-unquote truth. These are thematic, uh, these are things you arrive at. Or at least they don't believe in putting a spotlight on it. Like, that is important. No, I imagine if you asked, you know, the Japanese government, do you think that the Japanese army subjugated, you know, do you think that this narrative is accurate? Is it true? Is this a true narrative? They would say no. They would might, they might very well say, based upon things that, based upon maybe the same facts based upon maybe the same, you know, accuracies, they would say, no, that's not the way we see it. We don't see that as true. We see that as a misstatement of reality. But why is that them using truth correctly instead of them using truth incorrectly? That's my point, is that I don't think that we can treat truth in an objective sense. I think that truth, and this is exactly my point, right? Yeah. You, Picard is talking about I'm going to keep tying this back. Uh Scientific truth. Very hard to dispute. People do it. Yeah. Did you see that B.O.B.? Global warming. Well, did you see that B.O.B. recently launched a Kickstarter to put satellites around the planet in order to prove that the planet is flat? (laughs) That is, in fact, well, it is fact. I can't even say true or accurate anymore, but it is a fact that he's put that online. And you can find it today. He's asking for like $250,000 to do this. That's that's really funny. It is. Well, he's on the outside of that. Right. But most of us, I think, agree with scientific truth. Right. And maybe if you want to go a higher level above scientific truth, you could do mathematic truth. Um, because as we discussed earlier, yeah. like, we may have scientific truths that are only true now because it's all we know. Um, that may be overturned in the future as we gain more knowledge. Yeah, I mean, you know, fair enough. But again, but, math is entirely, uh, it's human-centered. 
It's, yeah. it, it's not meant to... It's a tool. It's not meant to comport with the outside world. It, right. It's self-contained. But because, but because it's self-contained, then it can ultimately be true because we decide what truth is. Only because, and, in that case, we take truth and accuracy and we make them the same thing. Right. So that's artificial, I think, is yeah. what I mean by that. As against scientific truth. Science, as against math, requires us to actually say something about the real world and test it against that real world. And look what we have. From second one, you move into science, and what do you got? You got disagreement. And you got dissent. And you got, oh, well, is the world even round? Okay, some people don't agree with that. Is there is there global warming? Not necessarily 100% agreement with that. But I think at least, you know, we can say that that sounds absurd to us, and we can at least agree that broad strokes, scientific truth, we can mostly agree on. Yeah, speaking about scientific truths, um, I always think it's funny that we use the phrase, do you believe in global warming? When what we really ought to use um, as people on the side of believing in global warming is, do you um, acknowledge global warming? Or do you know about global warming? Yeah. Because we're talking about what we, what we accept right. as truth. Right. And when you accept something as true, it becomes much more like, if someone else well, doesn't, you can't you can't deny global warming if you don't know about it. So I don't like the do you know about global warming, but do you acknowledge it is such a leading question. It's like the um, instead of do you beat your wife, it's the when was the last time you beat your wife? Yeah, or when did you stop beating your wife? Or yeah, have you stopped? It's, one yeah. Of, it's a it's one of those questions. It assumes, but, it assumes the yeah yeah the fact. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's I mean, it, it's interesting because with scientific truth, and this is, you know, you saying that reinforces the point that we treat the things that we view as scientifically true as being objectively and universally true. Right. Such that if anyone dis disagrees with us on a scientific truth, we look at them sidelong. We, we think that they're yeah. crazy people, that they... Ascribe to some cult view of reality, some knowing untruth or something, that they're just absurd. They're crazy people for not agreeing with us on scientific truth, right? Yeah. So that's one lens of this when we talk about truth. But if we move down to, to historical truth, well, let's think about national, nationally held views on history, for example just as a starting place. So we might look at, I'm trying to think of an example. We might look at, you know, let's think of some old, old national writers. Well, we've already talked about historical truth, I think, enough to have examples. I mean, that's true, but just like we, real quick, I want to well, just set up Herodotus, like, I mean, Herodotus, yes, but we haven't really set up the counter to Herodotus. In fact, what we said initially was, you have, you know, everyone sort of accepts that you have to believe Herodotus until you have something else. Okay, so, so if then, we quickly, just very quickly, you know, oh, something that's historically set in stone, ancient um, historical rivalry. It doesn't even have to be ancient. Let's say the text to Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. Uh, okay, sure. Like so we know what Lincoln, he said. Who's talking about this is a country that's founded upon a certain? Well, no, ideal. I mean literally the text. Like we know exactly what he said. Because it was written down and preserved. 
No, no, no. That's not what I'm talking about. Right. Uh, Truth is not accuracy. That's my entire idea. So, like, yes, we can say that it's accurate that he said certain things. I'm talking about was Lincoln right to establish that the history of America was about these founding principles articulated in the Declaration of Independence. Well, see, you see what I'm here's saying where now? Here, I'll, I'll voice this now because I have I have a major disagreement about. Um, Chris trying to differentiate truth and accuracy. And I asked, I asked earlier for how he's defining truth, but I, I don't see it getting anywhere. I need to take this drink. Okay. Well, while you're taking that drink, I want to try to see if I can rearticulate. Truth is based, I think, truth is based upon primarily an apprehension of reality as against accuracy, which is more objectively based. See, and what I don't understand is why not say truth and accuracy are the same thing and then say that historiography is composed of both historical truths and historical beliefs. Well, this isn't just about historiography. I will accept that historiography well, is about... Well, I'm, I'm saying, like, I don't... I feel like there is this dichotomy where you're saying accuracy and truth yeah. when what you really mean is truth and belief. Because you have things like scientific, as we discussed for scientific truth earlier, um, you were saying that we have some scientific accuracy and then we have some scientific truth, but the scientific truth part sounded like scientific belief. And it's the same thing going into uh, historiography, and I'm going to assume that it'd be about the same thing going into personal truth. Well, because it's about more than you and I just talking right here, because people in the real world treat this word truth as being fundamentally predicated upon belief. And we can't just sit here, I think, and that's the point of my po the, my topic tonight. We can't just sit here and say, oh, well, let's just redefine and re we call these things, you know, different than people call them. People across history, historians, scientists, politicians, religious, you know, leaders, every single group that has an important impact upon society they call the things that are beliefs, they call them truths. Sure. And that is important. It's important to realize that people are swayed by what is called a truth. And we label it a truth. We brand it as a truth. Even though it's a belief. Even though it is predicated upon belief. But truth, my fundamental well, argument. I think any of them. So. Well, hang on. Okay. My fundamental argument is that this word, truth, ultimately is a combination between what can be argued as accurate and what can be sold based upon belief. See, and I, I just, <clears throat> I don't necessarily like that. And this is going to be the last time I voice this complaint so that we can move on. Um, and I'll just move under the assumption that Chris is right after this. But my objection that I'll sustain is that we can simply say that all these people are wrong and that what they're calling truth is just a belief. Um, we have that power, certainly. And my, uh, and I think that that's just the, certainly the correct way to, um, go about that. Well, I will firmly disagree because d the notion, and we'll take another drink right here. We're not calling out these drinks as well as we really should, but. I, if they can hear the chink, um, I'm not sure if they can hear the... Yeah, it's, it's I don't tell. Shoot, I don't like saying that word. Um, if uh -oh, they can hear the ting clink. of our glasses... You're thinking clink. Well, 
You can use both terms there, onomatopoeias. And the... That's true, but one is, um, you know... One is also a very bad term. Yeah. Uh, a yeah. A slur, a little bit. Yeah. <clears throat> if y'all can hear the glasses hit each other and make a nice sound, um, then that's... That's what's going on. Yeah, we're taking a drink. We need, like, a cowbell or something. Like, in King we of need, the Hill... We need some kind of, like... We need... When it gets edited, we need, like, a little ding or something. Yeah, a counter, every, even. Yeah, but that would require you to, like, listen back through. And I know yeah. you don't want to listen to our show. Yeah, so. not to the to the extent that I need to listen to it to edit it, I do yeah, so. That's but um, I'm referring to King of the Hill with the cowbell thing, because there's an episode where Bobby, who's an aspiring stand-up comedian, is doing the daily announcements, hmm. and no one gets that he's making all these jokes. And then his mother... Um, tells him what you need is some sort of announcement that it's a joke. So she goes in, and every time she joins the announcements with him, and every time he makes a joke, uh, she rings a cowbell and repeats the joke, and it becomes a hit. Uh-huh. So okay. we need a, we need more cowbell. I think that that's true. <laughs> um, no, but I'm, you know, I'm going to firmly disagree with this, because I think that to just say... You know, oh, well, you know, uh, truth, this word can be disregarded because it, it's mistakenly used. Well, yes, it's mistakenly used, but boy, everyone uses it, and we sure use it too. I mean, we talk about truth. Everyone talks about truth. Truth is such a powerful word. It's a word like integrity, like honesty. It's a word like justice. It's a word like, you know, dignity. It's, it's this powerful word. And when you assign something with truth, it naturally creates this persuasive effect. What I want to talk about right, tonight. Hang on, real quick. I want to amend what I said is that, um, belief is a presumption of truth. And in that respect, um, when I'm saying that, like when you call out something as a belief, you're kind of calling out the presumption as, um, incorrect, maybe. Well, but perhaps I'm, I want to look at this more as a matter right. of perspective. Right. And what I'm saying is that when something's a belief, you believe it to be true. So to you, it's a truth. Um, exactly. Whereas a third party might see it as a, or a second party even might see it as a belief. That's my so entire. That's, yeah. That kind of resolves my um, objection. Yeah. That's, that's my entire argument is that we need to start looking at truth in a way that reflects its predication upon belief and perspective. Because yes, of course, you know, Every truth, you know, we were talking about historical truth for a minute, and we never really, like, got through the idea. But if we look at any sort of national rivalry on anything, be it territorial, sovereignty-based, but forget that, sports-based, <laughs> right? I mean, look at A&M, Texas A&M University, right? Here is a school that claims that it won several national championships in football. Most people... Do not agree that they won those things. They've assigned their own truth based upon facts, certainly. They look at their records, and they look at some collateral information, and then they decide, well, you know what? It's true that we won those championships, and it's so true to them that they place them on the stadium with the numbers of the years and saying national champions these years. And it's become like a joke, right? But it's true to them. I mean, how can we really argue it's not? Here's another one. USC, right? University of Southern California. University of Texas just recently played them in football. 
We lost a heartbreaker. You know what? Didn't break my heart because I've never seen my football team play that well. Uh, did we lose that one? We did. Because I saw it go into overtime at that party. We were in like double overtime. Ooh. It took, it took them so much longer to beat us than it should have. We were kicking ass. I mean, we played incredible. I've been watching this team for so many years. I've never been more proud than in that moment. Even in loss. But here's the thing. Before that game, this was all over the networks and all over the websites. USC was distributing their little game day packet. And they were talking about, well, here's the history of the, you know, this is the vaunted rivalry with the University of Texas. And, of course, USC has won every game against Texas. But that's not true. Ah? Or accurate. Now, as far as USC is concerned, that year that they lost to us in the national championship in 2005, when Texas won against USC, hook'em horns. Were they not USC? Their year, their year's record was, uh, uh, it was, it was wiped out by the NCAA. They, the team was fined in their entire season's wins, but that's the thing. They were only fine their wins. The school's argument is, well, if we never got all those wins, we never would have went into the national championship. So Texas couldn't have beaten us. Ergo, that game never existed. Now, NCAA disagrees. And so does Texas, obviously. So here's here's a fun um, sort of parallel situation that you probably know a lot more than and will correct me on. Okay. Um... Let's look at court cases and things being stricken off the record. Okay. Because court cases sort of establish their own truth. Yeah. Um, about the matter that they're over, especially, um, criminal cases. Yep. Is like both sides tell a story and you, tr- the jury tries to establish the truth. Um, and this is, I guess, a pretty, it, it's a cool place to go on, on your topic of truth. I don't know so. if it was planned or not. Go for it. Yeah. Um, but, Things can be stricken off the record because they were improperly said. Yeah. I mean, uh, if that's you can, one of those. Yeah. So it's sort of like the truth. It's not, a, it's not accuracy because if it was purely on accuracy, it doesn't matter how someone obtained information or evidence. Yeah. Um, exactly. We create this additional burden, this additional barrier between accuracy and truth in the courtroom, where, as a society, we pretty much agree it matters most. So why do that unless we sort of have that understanding that, you know what, there's a difference. It's not enough to just say, well, if it's accurate, let it in. I think that we have this idea that truth is different and more important than accuracy. Oh, I think we do it um, because we don't want to give the police um, too much power to search for evidence or things like that. Like, we do it um, because, I mean, name, like, one of the reasons why something might be stricken from the record. Um, Violations of constitutional rights. Yeah. So we've determined that upholding the constitutional rights is more important than upholding the truth in a certain small... uh, Although there are other reasons that we do it. There are reasons, like, for example... um, it wasn't raised timely or something like that. I mean, I so think that, like something that really doesn't matter b- being raised timely. 
Or what are, uh, like, we look at the implications of what if we allowed this evidence to come in and we've decided that the, the result, um, that we imagine would be worse than the situation where this guy goes free. Well, I'm talking more about, like, appellate courts will look at a fact pattern. You know, and I'm trying to make this, you know, as broadly applicable as possible. So let's put it this way. When a trial court gets done with everything it does, it comes up with a record. And that record reflects those things that actually came into evidence and came into the record via, you know, what was said and what was admissible and what was brought up, right? And that record is also amended and there's a lot of things removed from it based upon what things shouldn't have gotten in. And then that record, when the appellate court reaches it, if it goes up on appeal, that record is what's true. We don't care about what's accurate. We don't care about what actually happened. We don't care about the real facts. We end up caring about what is true for the appellate court. Right, what is true within the court. Right. The truth, the truth we created. Yeah, exactly. And we, by saying that, we recognize, we have to recognize that it's not, it's not actually what's accurate. We're making up our own little sub category of reality. Yeah, uh, assumptions of what's accurate. Yeah. We're, so for the purpose of doing this court case. Even when those courts literally have to realize that it's wrong, that it's actually not accurate, they'll still accept it as true. And that I think I'm glad you brought it up because here we are, right? Yeah, no, this that's a one fantastic of moments, example right? of what you were looking for. I, I mean, this is really, you know, this is the this is the kernel. Well, I've said kernel so many times. This is sort of that nugget that la- that rests underneath all of this. Yeah. Is that in some of the most important kernel truth was my favorite general. Yeah, kernel truth. I like that. I like that a lot. He wouldn't be a general. He'd be a colonel, but. You don't want my favorite be, commander. You don't want him to be a colonel. <laughs> colonel. Yeah. Um. Do you want to move on to personal truth? Because we still haven't gotten there. And we I'm haven't really gotten there yet. But you know, that. absolutely. I mean, I just I thought it was so important that we really got here. That yeah. we're, we're both talking about. You know, in some of the most important venues of human interaction and human decision making. We not only draw a distinction between truth and accuracy, we value truth above accuracy. And so let's move exactly where you're saying. Let's talk about personal truth. Oh my God, how can you even put truth with that word personal? What madness is that, yeah, it, right? It kind of implies that this is what's true to me that may not be true to you. How can we have consistency in personal truth? How can we even put truth next to that word? Unless. And I think you can finish that sentence. Unless Uh, what? Unless we recognize that truth can be different for different individuals. And if we recognize that, and they're all still truth, what does that mean? Then personal truth can exist. And truth is... Subjective? Exactly. Exactly. So you're right here with me, man, right? Um, no. What do we do with that? Oh, you're not here with me. Okay. All right. We'll, we'll do a little clink right here. 
It really is clink. I can't believe I screwed that up. It's okay. It's all right. By the way, um, speaking real quick about our um, explicit tags and how much we swear, and we haven't really been swearing tonight. So. Not tonight. Yeah, we. Yeah, what's the fucking it? deal about that? Yeah, what the fuck? Yeah. Anyways, um, I was talking to someone about that today as I was recommending the podcast. Mm-hmm. And the way I see it, we have the, and you can tell your mom this, we have those explicit tags to keep the youth out of this, because Socrates got busted for corrupting the youth, and if we have the explicit tag on there, then we're not corrupting the youth. I like that. That's a good argument. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, after all, he was literally, well, he was executed for no other reason. Yeah, we don't want our last podcast to be us having a drinking game with Hemlock. That's really funny. That's so funny. Actually, like, this is... I think when people say this kind of thing, it's usually sarcastic and being an asshole. I can genuinely tell you, that was so funny, I actually didn't even think to laugh. It was, it was so clever and, like, witty. I was just, like, appreciating it instead of laughing at it. Oh, thank you. <clears throat> um, I That one took a bit of time to think about. Anyways, uh, so personal truths... Here's, where, here's how I disagree. Okay. Um, I think that you could limit the term personal truths to um, sort of an expressive feeling. Okay. Because my theme for this season is expression. Yeah. Um, an expression of how you feel about certain things. And it can be a truth. You know, if, like, if you see something and it makes you angry but other people happy, um, you can express your personal truth about how that thing is rage-inducing. Yeah. Um, even though it's not rage-inducing to the thing, it, to the people it made happy, it induced rage in you. Yeah. And that's a personal truth. And it's, a pers- and it's personally accurate. I don't see how we disagree. That's my argument. Well, my, my disagreement is you, you said then that truth is subjective, but yeah. that would be... That would be objective because it objectively made you angry. No, no, no. I, I don't think that that's the way to look at subjective and objective reality. I think that when we say something's object, objective versus subjective, I think that we're, what we're talking about is the metric of measuring. Right. Well, so and this comes <clears> in <throat> how you how you express yourself because if you say so, whatever that thing was <coughs> is. Excuse me is rage-inducing, and you're the only person who had induced rage in, that might be a subjective truth. But if you say, this made me angry, that's an objective truth. Uh, and it's a matter of how you how you say the words. No, I don't think that that's a valuable distinction. We're because, having a lot of disagreements here. Yeah, we are. But, you know, to the extent that they're truth... Well, uh, whatever. We'll take our drink. This is actually a pretty nice drink. I think it's actually really good. I'm proud to have my name on it. <laughs> this is like number five of cocktails I've invented. I think it's great. Anyway, I think it's not a valuable distinction to say that just admitting that your opinion is based upon your own perception versus saying a judgment call about it that is perception-based is the difference between subjective and objective. I think that objective is more like 
can we arrive at a metric that anyone can engage in and arrive at the same conclusion versus subjective, which universally I think is just is the metric based upon an individual's perspective. And that I think we're in both this makes me mad versus this is enraging. All right. We're talking about subjective either way. I'll change my mind and agree with you. So uh, throw up some of the drink back in. Undrink your drink, This this means so much to me. Undrink your drink. I want to drink more of my drink because I feel so happy now. All right. Clink. Clink is its own uh, slang, actually. Isn't it just a non-amonopia? Clink is, um, it's jail, right? Mm-hmm. I think, I think if you go in the clink... It's a Pokemon. No, it's not. Yes, it is. What? Generation 5. Um, they made a line of Pokemon that were, they were steel Pokemon, and it was one gear, um, and then it evolved into two gears, and then it evolved into three gears. It was like clink, cling, clang, and then clink, clang. Okay. That was the generation where I feel like they phoned it really in. Really sort of lost their way. Yeah, it, they phoned it in. But the point later I found out was that it was based on um, convergent evolutions. Okay. So a lot of them were oh. sort of very similar to first-gen Pokemon. Yeah. So they had like a a um, Geodude, Graveler, yeah. um, Golem situation. They had uh, Ghastly, Gengar. Like they had, they basically... Had a bunch of reimagined first generation like Pokemon, and it was convergent evolution. And the area was meant to be in New York instead of around Japan. Well, that's kind of unique. Yeah. Huh. So, but that was also the one where they made a Pokemon that was just an ice cream cone <laughs> and a Chandelure. Okay. That one's act. My the Chandelure Pokemon's my favorite. But excellent. You could also say that was the generation where they and an iceberg. That was the one where they phoned it in. Well, so, I'll tell you what. Maybe we should return a little bit. Yes. To our topic. I think that, you know, again, you know, we're talking about subjectivity versus objectivity. And, you know, obviously the ball is no longer hidden. My argument ultimately surrounds the idea that we can pretty much, when you start throwing wor- the word accuracy around, you pretty much are invoking objectivity. But when you throw the word truth around, and we start talking about things like personal truth, it is out the window. I mean, we are talking about subjectivity. We are talking about, I mean, let's, let's, let's try to figure out, right? So what is Picard talking about? I mean, here's Wesley Crusher. He's a young cadet. He's a aspiring Starfleet officer, but he hasn't done anything yet. He's in the academy, or he's well, not he even was yet an there. acting ensign for a bit. He was an acting ensign because he uh, had the privilege of his mother being the uh, because are being, they aren't they romantic yeah. <laughs> uh, interest. You of can the say it like that. I was going to say because Picard wanted to bone his mom. Pretty much, Doctor yeah. Crusher. So you know he he gets to run the ship every he once wants in a while. Doctor, he wants to crush. The doctor, fuck. Not a great, not a great pun. It's, I it's, it's a shame because you're so close to smash with what? Crush. Because he wanted to crush her. Yeah. 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 But, like, that's the one I meant to say in the night. It's because you're yeah. so close to 
It's because crush is not generally associated, but you're so close with that word yeah. to smash. It works well enough. I think it works. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, so um So they're in that crush, they're they're crusher. in the captain's uh office. Yeah. I don't remember what exactly it was called. This was like season three or four, right? Do you remember what Picard's office is called? I don't know. Anyway, they're in the captain's Captain. Not office. his quarters. Not his quarters. Yeah, um, there isn't yeah, his office, office or whatever. Yeah. He's got his little fish tank and his little Earl Grey tea yeah. uh, dispenser, a.k.a. the, uh, uh, what what was it called? The, I want to call it a generator. I want to call it a right materializer, here. but that's not right. Yeah. Something in the middle of that. Well, they, <laughs> excuse me. They've got their little thing. Yeah. And Crusher comes in and he gets just, just dressed down by Picard. And he's talking about these things like the the highest duty of a Starfleet officer is the truth. And I think at the already, I think we're at the point where we can start saying, what on earth is Picard talking about? Why would you be dedicated to the truth? What does it even mean to be dedicated to the truth? I mean, listen, we live in an age today, and I don't think it's I, I don't think it's fair necessarily to say that we're entirely corrupted by this fact, but I think that we can at least reflect upon the fact that politics today is an exercise in insanity. You've got one side who will say these things are true. The other side will say fake news, opposite things. Exactly. Opposite things are true. And they will each good faith beliefs, it seems. And they each will be like, no, 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 this is what's true. That's garbage. They can say this about each other. And it's all true. And you really can't argue. I mean... Well, it reminds me of a, um... It's an exercise on perspective. But it's like, yes. you get you get a 3D model. Okay. And maybe it's... From one direction, it looks like a circle. Mm-hmm. And on the other direction, it looks like a rectangle. Okay. Um, so a cylinder, basically. Okay. From the top, a cylinder will look like a circle. And from if the you, side... It'll look like a rectangle. From a 2D perspective. Right. So if you have people approach it looking from the top, they'll see a circle. Yeah. And if you have people looking at it approaching from the side, they'll see a rectangle. And those are personal truths to both of them, but the accuracy is that it's a cylinder. So then maybe we can agree that from scientific down to personal truth, what we're really talking about is an increase in the power, the authority, and the applicability of perspective. I'll absolutely agree with that. So here we are down in personal truth. And we're really starting, I think, at this time to understand the vulnerability of that word, that increasingly infamous word, truth. It's almost, it's almost without value or meaning. I mean, I, we can call it a number of things. You know, we're, we're, well, I disagree that it's without value or meaning. Okay. I think that even if your personal truth is, um, subjective and only applicable to yourself, it still has a great (laughs) deal of value. As Shakespeare said, and I love quoting Shakespeare because we began with a quote on TNG, to thine own self be true. Yes. Um, and in a sense, that's kind of what, uh, Picard was saying to Wesley Crusher. But here's the thing, right? But 
I don't think he really was because the end of that speech, I don't remember if I read it exactly or not, but the end of that speech was, if you do not have the courage to stand up and tell the truth, you don't deserve that uniform and I will tell the truth. So Picard's not just saying, be true to thyself, own self. But then also He's be saying, true to others. I'm going to measure and judge the extent to which you're being true to thine own self. And if you fail by my metric of being true to thine own self, I will expose the truth. Which is rather different. Right? Yeah. I mean, so then what do we do with this? And, and of course, yes, I understand. I'm doing this whole conversation from a perspective of let us venerate the great Captain Picard and the writers who made his speeches for him and everything else. But I do think that this little exercise in oration ends up being valuable to anybody who's thinking about, well, what does it mean to tell the truth, to be true to yourself or anything else? So then here's the question, right? What does it mean to be true? What does it mean to tell the truth? That's a fun question. Um, and assuming it's not rhetorical. No, I, I really am asking you, Doug. What does it mean? I, Doug, I've been, you and I have focused on very different things in law school. And I think that that makes this friendship a really valuable one. Among other things. That makes you and I, I think, we have a very valuable friendship to me. In my time in law school, we focused so much on trial and persuasion and narrative and storytelling. And one of the things that gets affirmed and asserted and refreshed in our minds time and time and time and time and time and time and time, and time again is to tell the client's truth. Tell the true client's story, et cetera, et cetera. These, the word true attaches to everything, right? All right. Tell their, you know, show their true self, express their true feelings. You know, true, 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 so, right? So what does that mean, Doug? What do you, you think? You may or may not like my answer. I don't care if I like your answer. This is about our my, conversation. My answer for what it means to tell the truth is to be accurate from whichever perspective um, you, you, you're meant to use in the situation. Okay. Which is to say, it's um, going back to the cylinder... Uh, example. Sure. If someone looks at it from the top and says, I see a circle, um, they're being accurate from their perspective. Okay. They're telling the truth from their perspective. And if you ask that person, well, what did you see? And they say, I saw a circle. They're not lying. They're telling you what they saw. They're being truthful from their perspective. So we're still talking about perspective. Right. Okay. And that's what I think telling, telling the truth is saying, you know, I'm going to be accurate uh, but maybe this, the my total overall accuracy is limited by the perspective, um, that I'm using to approach this. Do you think by that methodology of truth, that it's possible to express dishonest truths? Well, assuming you mean 
Like, I think if something's a dishonest truth, it's a matter of perspective. Uh, assuming I know what you mean by dishonest truth. I think to that extent, do. if someone says it's a circle and it's actually a cylinder, would you say that's a dishonest truth? No. What I'm talking about is if you... So, okay, well, well let's talk about advocacy as lawyers. Yeah. Your client comes in and says, this is a circle. Here's a circle. I, I've been doing this for a long time and I know this is a circle. My experience and training and life, I, this is a circle. And you look at it and it's a cylinder. Or rather, like you described earlier, it's a rectangle. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah, because you see it from a different perspective. You're going to show up in court and what are you going to say? Well, I'm not a, I'm not a um, trial judge, but I guess I would be bound to say it's a circle. You might well. So that's kind of my question. Are you being dishonest? <sighs> yeah, this stuff is hard. Yeah, that's a, that's a difficult question. It that's really is. Actually, a fantastic question. Um, I don't think you're being dishonest because. You're there as an agent of your client, which effectively means you're there as an extension of your client. Oh, sure. You're there to say what your client saw. And that's the easy answer. The easy answer is always, even if I'm being dishonest, I'm doing my job, and my job is to be dishonest when necessary. But my question to you is, are you still yet being dishonest? Even if we say that you're right to be dishonest, are you being dishonest? Well, but here's the thing is, when you go to court... You're not asked to say what you think. You're asked to say, you're asked to represent your client. Again, that's the easy answer. Well, yeah, but what I'm saying is, again, the question isn't, lawyer, what did you see? It's lawyer, what did your client see? And when you're okay. asked that question okay. and you answer a circle, even though you saw a rectangle, you're being honest. So now you're, okay, I But understand. I understand what you mean about dishonest. And I understand what you dishonest. mean. What you're saying yeah. is, we need to separate the agency. From this question, because I'm basically asking you as an agent, you know, whether you're being dishonest. And you're responding, I think, correctly that I'm not an agent. I'm nothing more than a representation of my client. And if my client saw a circle, then it's a circle. And forget what I think. And I respect that. I well, no, I don't even, I mean, sure, whatever, I'll agree with you. No, I, I think, I don't, I don't know if I'm saying it exactly right. But I think that in broad stroke, in broad strokes, what you're saying is it's a bad hypo. Yeah, yeah. That you're not. You know, this is this is very different from what we would really talk about yeah. in terms of dishonesty. So maybe let's talk about. You know, I mean, we 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 might say, for example, um, as a teacher, perhaps, or. Some other communicator whose job is not, you know, to just be the, the, the zealous advocate of their principle, right. but rather like, you know, you get a book, you're a teacher, you get a book that you have to teach, a textbook that you have to teach from. And it says that Jesus rode a velociraptor around. And this is not even crazy because here in Texas, we have these textbooks around in schools. I Here's the thing is I, I can sort of see where you're going with this. And I still think it's the same problem. The teacher's not asked to teach the class what they think. The teacher's asked to teach the class what the textbook says. And so the textbook says this. It may well be the case that you and I are ultimately just immediately in agreement that 
It's not possible to be personally dishonest? Yes. Because how can... I mean, either you're describing how you... I mean, well, personal uh, truth... So, personal truth is either a personal inquiry or it's not. And if it is a personal inquiry, then it relates to your personal perspective. And if you respond from your personal perspective, how can you be untrue? So I actually have an answer for that. And I know that one was rhetorical. Um, but the answer I have, and here's where personal dishonesty can come in. I think there are two ways. Um, number one is that people can always still lie. They can. Um, about themselves. You know, how does this make you feel? Ah, I'm cool with it when you're not, but you don't want, but you want to suit the situation. Okay. Um, like the, we're, we're fairly honest people and I think it doesn't immediately occur to us. No, but I, I hear you. Yeah, I'll, I'll but you can this. you can just straight up lie. Yeah, and that would be being personally dishonest. Yeah. Um, number two, I think, is when you're when you are unable to express yourself to a certain extent. Although this may be sort of our words podcast all over again, um, you may be trying to express the truth, and in trying to express the truth, you don't have, but you don't have the ability to do so. Uh, you're expressing something other than what you're trying to express. Yeah, I think I I think that you're right that the issue of the the issue of genuine intent of communication that comes off wrong is maybe a different topic than this. Yeah. But I do hear you. People can still lie. And they can lie about everything. You can lie about science. You can lie about history. And you can certainly lie You can about lie about where you were on the night of the twenty fourth. You're right. You can yes. lie about yourself. <laughs> I did not, though. Um, <laughs> people can lie about, well, anything from things that are objective to things that are down to subjective and perspective-based. I completely agree. But the latitude beyond knowing falsehood that will still end up being untrue yeah. starts to narrow rapidly after we leave the personal space. And yet, that's because it can be verified, absolutely. But and still, yet we call all of these things truths, and that is, well, as has been clear from the start, my entire point has been about we use this word, and we really care about this word. This word means so much to us. I mean, if I were going to put together a a theme for a trial. A word like truth would be right up there in my consider my consideration set because words like truth, individual people, normal people, people who are just living their lives, man, a word like truth is up there. Like what I said earlier, it's up there with dignity, it's up there with integrity, it's up there with justice. It's one of those words where you want to be on the side of truth. Everyone wants to be on the side of truth, don't they? And yet, right? I mean, if we were to talk about integrity, we might have disagreements about these sort of subtleties between, you know, what what constitutes integrity. But we would end up largely with an idea that integrity is a is a kind of thing. Well, truth is a different kind of thing, isn't it? Than integrity? I mean, they're different words. They are different words, but like I was saying, I think that truth is a much more subjective notion 
and one that is much more vulnerable oh. to variation than anything like then integrity or justice if or I could, dignity. If I could offer my final thoughts. God, please um, do. I'd like to say that all of those things are subjective. Um, in fact, if you've watched Star Trek, there's that episode where they visit Austin, um, in my mind. <laughs> uh, and Wesley Crusher gets into trouble. And the planet's version of justice is that every penalty is the death penalty. Um, you might not get the joke about Austin if you haven't seen the episode, but whatever. Uh, and to them, that is just. Uh, to Captain Picard, it's not just. Like, so it's, justice is subjective. I say dig all those other things, really. Like, all these gig words that we impose such great feeling towards, um, I think they are all subjective. I am willing to agree with that. And I think that you're right, Doug. I think that so many of these crucial values that appeal to us on the, on the, the most core levels of our personality are very, very determined by the subjective perspective that we have on what they mean. As a final thought, I will say this. I think that in agreement with you, Doug, everybody should take the opportunity to seriously examine what they mean and what matters to them when they use these words, when they think about these words, or when they think about the ideas that surround and substantiate these words. Because these are more than just words. These are values. And if we're not careful about what we mean by our values, it's very easy for us to get lost. Thank you all so much for tuning back in to our Sophist Symposium Season 2. Well, it was just me and Doug this time, but we sure hope that we were able to deliver you, as always, a series of interesting thoughts and maybe something for you to think about, appreciate, and consider in your own time. We really appreciate that you decided to tune into us and listen to our talking back and forth, and we sure hope you'll join us next time we manage to release an episode. And real quick, before I forget, um, that awesome song that you hear at the beginning of the podcast that I keep forgetting to talk about because I added in the editing process is by my friend and fraternity brother, Corey Arnold. Um, it's a fantastic song. He's got a fantastic YouTube channel. You should check him out. Corey, thank you so much. You have been a true value to our show. You make our podcast that much more lit. Now, for all other of our listeners... Have a great night. We'll see you next time.